Welcome to the Dream Jobbing Podcast. I'm Alex Boylan, winner of The Amazing Race, creator of Around the World for Free, and all-around digital entrepreneur. My co-host is Lisa Hennessy. She is a prolific female executive producer on hit shows like Eco Challenge and The Biggest Loser. She is a global citizen, having mentored hundreds of people around the world. Together, we are the founders of Dream Jobbing, a platform that offers amazing opportunities. Each week, we interview a new inspirational person living their dream and learn how they got there through their successes as well as their failures. As producers, we love a good story, so sit back and enjoy this week's podcast. We good? I actually can hear Alex thinking, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. No better way to kick it off than that. (laughs) Welcome, everyone, to the Dream Jobbing Podcast. As always, by my side here is Lisa Hennessy. Lisa, how you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. Good, good. We have an awesome guest coming up here today, Shane Farley, the king of production and talk shows. Very excited to uh, interview him. The king of production or talk shows or both? Both. <laughs> Why are you questioning it? I don't know. I You're just like had to start it. I just started that way. Okay. Because I kind of want to be the queen. You okay. are the queen. Okay. Just the queen ahead. of everything. <laughs> As you know, everyone, this uh, this podcast is about interviewing, inspiring people, um, exploring extraordinary careers, and, and hopefully just giving you some insight into how to live an awesome life. And there's no one better to have on than right now, this guy, Shane Farley, because he has done all three of those things and continues to do that. By the way, who canceled that got me in here? <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> Somebody must have canceled. No way. We are so. honored. We are honored. Shane, thanks for coming on, bud. Thanks for having me. This is really exciting. Yeah. So I think to kick it off, uh, it'd be great to kind of rewind a little bit. And if you could just walk through your career, because it's a fascinating career. You've, you've worked for some of the biggest names in television and, and sculpted some of the best talk shows that have been out there. And start from like maybe the college era and, and walk us through. And Lisa and I will chime in when we can with the... Uh, Antidotes. Okay, cool. So even earlier than that, I was like a huge fan of The Tonight Show. And so I would watch Johnny Carson every night and I would really sort of watch these interviews and and these conversations that Johnny would have with his guests. And I, and I loved it. Like I just I watched it. And I wasn't I didn't feel like, hey, I want to be Johnny Carson. I just knew I wanted to be a part of that. And I wasn't sure what my role would be. And then a couple of years later or a few years later, Arsenio came on. So I would watch Arsenio from like 11 to 11.30 and then I would watch Johnny and then I would watch Letterman. This is like all through, you know, grammar school and high school when I really should have been sleeping. And I would have it on in my room and I was just fascinated by that sort of celebrity talk show host banter. So much so that I knew a lot of celebrity stories. Like, especially when comics would come on, I would just, I, I, studied it in a way so you've been interested in talk shows since you were a kid your whole life the whole whole thing so you knew that you knew where you wanted to go i i wasn't sure though what the role was the thing is it's like nobody was peeling back the curtain at that point so i didn't know what the role was and then letterman at one point starts talking to morty and he's talking to this guy morty and i real and they took a shot of him and here's like the this guy, full head of hair, like long hair. He was just kind of cool. And I realized, this guy's calling the shots here. So I was really impressed with that. Cut to years later, me w- working for a bald Morty. But like I got to actually work for him. So and that's a whole other thing. But So I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, wow, there's somebody behind the scenes that's kind of dealing with all of this. And I knew I wanted that. And I was like, immediately at that point, I was like, that's what I want to do. I, I want to be the guy who's kind of, I don't want to be on camera. Clearly, I don't want to be like I'm not an actor, um, but I want to be the guy who's kind of behind the scenes at a talk show. And I just didn't know exactly what that role was until I went to college and then started interning. And then I saw what producers did. I I interned for uh, Regis when Regis Mm -hmm. was with uh, Kathy Lee Gifford. I interned there. I interned for Geraldo Rivera. And I interned for this other guy, Richard Bay, out of New Jersey. But that was like a super local thing that was like... So it's really always been your path. It's what I... Yeah. It's really it cool. You know, it's funny. It's like young people, I think, I, who struggle with like, what do I want to do? And I kind of feel for them because it's like, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Are when you talking I saw like it. six or like 13? No, like 13. That's Like I did school plays and stuff. So I thought maybe that was what I wanted to do. But then I realized... Like I hated the like I did like plays, but I hated the attention that I got for it, and I just I just didn't like it. Like I didn't like being around. 
and, and it sounds like so terrible. Like I'm not gonna say I hate actors, but like I hated the whole thing about it. Yet I work with actors all the time when they come on shows to promote it. So like it just wasn't my thing to act. Mm -hmm. And I was actually yeah. not very good. Like I had stage <laughs> presence at a kid, so like I would get like leads and stuff. But I wasn't like I I didn't really like it. Yeah, you want to be the person behind the scenes making it all happen. In it, college, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Alex, but like in college, I took a course. I went to like a state college in New Jersey called Ramapo. And there was a class that uh, was offered where like you switched roles. You, you switched roles every week. And then, you know, so you were a producer one day. You'd be like, you'd shoot camera the, other, the next week. So early on in the, in the course, I was given the executive producer thing just as like a fluke. And so I remember telling people who were producers how long I wanted their segments to be. And I got really addicting. And I like <laughs> I, that power was really kind of cool to me. So I was like, yeah, this is, I'm going to have to do this until I, and then I just didn't stop until I did it. So. And That's going so, from a, I mean, a state school in Jersey to these three internships, those are big names that you just mentioned. Regis, uh, Geraldo. Yeah. How did you get that? Because that's a huge stepping stone for to get into this, you know, where your career is about to go in this story. But how did you get those three? Well, I was just my nephew. My uh, one of my nephews wants to kind of follow and do what I what I do. So he, I had he was telling me about some school he wanted to go to in Pennsylvania, and I was like, Well, why do you want to go there? Like, if if you're not really if it's not like a certain school that you're dying to go to, then just go to a school that's close to Manhattan so you can go in and get internships. You know, that's what you need. And you don't really need school anymore. No, I mean, just, you just need, you need that connection and that's what internships are. You need to, first of all, you need to see through an internship, is this what I wanna do? Mm -hmm. And then you gotta make a connection. So, so how I got there was I went to a school where I could get into Manhattan and I just, I went into, <laughs> I guess WABC, which produces uh, Regis at the time, Regis and Kathy Lee, now Kelly and Michael. They they brought in like hundreds of college kids, and most of the guys wanted to do like uh, WABC sports and stuff like that. I I wanted to do Regis and Kathy Lee because it was like right in line of the shows that I wanted to do, and they this is great. So they took on eight interns um, my senior year. So all of which were women. One one student um, turned it down, and I was number nine. So really? I wasn't even like in the top eight. You're an so alternate. I was the alternate because they gave me a folder with someone else's name scratched out and then my name. <laughs> Shane Farley. I mean, get a new folder. <laughs> I mean, would it kill you to get a new folder? No, they gave me a folder. But you know what the thing is? That sent a message to me that was like, oh, I'm going to be number one. So I wore a shirt and tie every day to that internship. And because I was the only male, I got duties like carrying the postcards for like the Hawaii trip giveaway, which was like, I got a lot of really um, manual labor type jobs, uh -huh. which like jacked up my dress shirt every day and my uh, necktie. And I had to get back. So I would, I would bus in, I would do my internships. Well, let's and talk about the outfit though, because I really do think yeah. there's something to that, because that actually made you stand out in, an, in a good way. Yeah, you know the thing is, it's like I could tell, like the see because there was another any other guys, it really, I, I, it really made me stand out. But I could tell some people were looking at me like, "What a loser!" But I, I. Could but they remembered less. you. They remember mm -hmm. well. The, not so maybe like the other interns, but mm -hmm. I, I think the staff was just like whatever. You know, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care but where, I'm sure they remembered you. Lunch. They don't care whether I'm wearing a necktie or not. Oh, as an EP, you you know that you would remember the kid that with with the intern with the uh, with the suit on. Yeah, I guess so. I wasn't like afraid to stand out. Yeah. You know, sometimes people are afraid to stand. I wasn't afraid. And when to you're first starting, out. I think that's actually pretty good. Yeah. So I, uh, so I had to do a lot of like the. So I would come in, I would do the internship, and then I would go back because I worked at a nightclub because I didn't need to now pay for my bus. Like that was expensive, busing into Manhattan every day. And then, and I refused to like bring a lunch because if I brought a lunch, then I sat by myself and ate what a lot of the interns did. I made sure I had enough money so I could go to the commissary where other producers were. And then so people I worked with would see me as the intern on lunch, getting the same lunch as them, and they would wave me over. So I sat at the table with the right people. I was like, no, no, no. I'm not going to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with all the... I'm wearing a necktie. I'm getting to the big table. <laughs> <laughs> so, smart. Uh, yeah. So that's how it Super went. Super smart. It worked, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, and fr- so from internships, like, and it's, and I want to kind of get through the career first, but I'm interested. Is there any yeah. like, what would you give for advice? Was there a leg up you had in any of these getting these internships as it is? You know, it's like I feel like um, I feel like uh, the if you want it, like if, if people think like, oh, if it's a huge show, they're ne- they're never going to give me an internship, or if it's a huge company, why would they want me? It's like. Well, everybody loves free labor, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you should just set the sights as high as you can go. It's like if you're in television, why would you go anywhere other than Los Angeles or New York City? I mean, if you live in a if you live in a part of the country where just get to the big city, mm-hmm. but just go as big as you possibly can. You know, there's a lot of schools that have programs that'll send you to LA or to New York City. If you can do that, why not? It's like, what's going to set you apart from everybody else who's graduating? I didn't want to be in a room full of people who had the exact same experience that I did. So you just you just go after it. You have you just do what you need to do. So um, I don't know that I just showed people that when I was being interviewed for internships that I really, really wanted it. And I I took that method all the way through my career. It's like I never I can't ever think of a time that I turned down a meeting. I'll never turn down a meeting. And when I'm looking for a job, I go after it like it's my like my dream job. Mm-hmm. It's like I want it because what I want to do is that if for some reason I don't take it, I want to be able to turn it down. But if I don't if I go in half ass, then there's no job to turn down. It's like right. and then you'd be surprised. It's like if you go in half ass and then all of a sudden there's no other opportunities, you're left with nothing. Yeah. You might as well just go to Quiznos. <laughs> <laughs> Where they grill the subs. Do you know they grill the subs there? They do. <laughs> um, but for me, it's like, no, get the job offer. That's the most important thing. And then figure out. And, and if you have multiple offers, fantastic. And then you get to choose. But be in that driver's seat. Mm-hmm. How'd you parlay all these internships? And what's your first stepping stone as a full career okay, in the so, business? So senior year in college, I am two days. So I, because I've known I wanted to do this like my entire life, I... I did my, like I just loaded up my courses. So I only had to do one, the final semester of my senior year, I I just lined up my Wednesdays with courses from the very early morning until the evening. So Monday and Tuesday, I went into the city for one show and Thursday and Friday, I went in for another show, uh, Regis and Geraldo. So four days a week, I'm going into the city. And what happens is, is that I get a phone call, like, and I can't remember exactly how this went down because I, you know, I didn't have a cell phone. This is going back mm-hmm. a little bit. So somehow I get wind that the Joan Rivers show, which had just recently won an Emmy, had called me about um, an internship. So I was like, well, I'm, I don't need an internship because I'm graduating. <laughs> so I call back and I get this uh, woman, Phoebe, on the phone. And I bring up her name because I'm still friends with her to this day. So Phoebe is like, we're looking for an intern. It was like working with their props or something, right? So I said, oh, I said, I'm graduating. So, and I'm in, I'm doing internships four days a week. So it's not going to make sense. And thank you. And she goes, well, what, I don't know. Maybe we can just give you a job. And I was like, I'm sorry. And so she's <laughs> like, uh, I said, but I'm, I'm still in school. Like, cause I'm, like I live on campus, right? And she's a, so she's like, so you don't want the job? And I was like, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. Um, so I go. She goes, why don't you come in and talk to me? I go, where are you? Now she says this building on Fifty Seventh Street where CBS is, and it's the, I mean it's the CBS building. So I, I'm actually there doing the Geraldo show two floors above where she's at. So I'm like, oh my god, Joan Rivers shoots here. I had no idea. Number one and number two, I was just like. I, I guess I could come down the stairs, right? So she's like, well, then why don't you come down the stairs? So <laughs> I go in, I take the meeting, and I get offered the job. And I've got like two months left of college, right? So uh, so I have my classes on Wednesday. And so I explained to her, I said, well, if I can get out of my internships, I could work four out of the five days for you. So she's like, okay, that's fine. She introduced me to the uh, executive in charge of production. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. So I'm like freaking out. So I... Um, go back to the Geraldo show and I explain it to them and they're like, Shane, that almost never happens. That's fantastic. Congratulations. You're, you're free to go. I call over to uh, Regis and Kathy Lee and I'm speaking to Michael Gelman's assistant. 
And he, and then she says, oh, Shane, let me check. She checks with uh, Gelman, and she comes back, and she's like, he says that um, if you don't finish out the internship, you don't get the credit. So, like, my mind is racing because I'm like, wait wait a minute. It's like I have this opportunity that's just going to go, like, fly to my hands. All of this. Well, that's a reason for an internship to get a job. Exactly. <laughs> and you think that, like, because there were so many interns in there. And I was the only dude. It's like, you saw me carry all these <laughs> postcards, right? <laughs> I'm the guy with the tie. You remember that? So, um, so he was. they were like, no, he's not going to give you. So I go back to campus, and I'm, like, devastated. And I'm like, my mind's racing. And I go into my um, intern coordinator, and I'm like, listen. I explained to him the situation. He goes, Gelman doesn't give you the uh, credit. I give you the credit. He goes, call him up and tell him that yesterday was your last day. He goes, just do the paper, do the whole thing, and you're good. And I was like, uh, okay. So I did. I called up, and I was like, uh, yeah, yesterday was my last day. I'll be at the Joan River show starting on Monday. And then I did, and I got the job. I uh, worked four days a week. When I, when I graduated, I took the day off to graduate. And the final day of that show was – the day of the OJ Bronco chase. That was oh the final God. day of the yeah, show. Yeah, because yeah, I was standing in Port Authority coming home from the rap party, and that was, so. That was great. It was it was an amazing thing. It was an amazing experience, and it's like, I, I was working so hard that year while I was at those interns sending out resumes just blindly, which in a lot of ways doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. You, know, you no. just keep sending them out. Mm-hmm. It you gotta, you gotta hustle it. You gotta hustle it. You have to connect with somebody in order to, you know. And and the people like you, you obviously now hire hundreds of people, and and the people that hire the young people, we're not, we're only picky in terms of hiring the kids with that personality like yours who are hustling. You know, we never even look at their. I mean, honestly, like when was the last time you looked at what school someone went to or what their grade point average was? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. doesn't matter at all. It matters because you had the tenacity to go after everything that you looked, you wanted to do. And so those are the kids that get hired in production and the entertainment industry. Absolutely. And this last show that I worked on, there was a lot of turnover and I brought in a lot of people. And I would say, um, what do you think of the show? And they would look at me and they would be like, oh, I really like it. And I'd be like, you've watched an episode all the way through, which seems like such a ridiculous question because if you're trying to get a job on the show, it's like, clearly you did. You're a fan of the show. And they'd be like, I've watched clips. And I'd be like, you watched clips? So it happened once, it happened twice, and then I realized it was happening on everybody that was coming in. So a lot of young people just don't have televisions. So they'll watch their their shows streaming, they'll watch it on their iPads or don't have televisions. But if you're going for a job on a television show, watch the whole show because there's a rhythm of a television show that you need to see from start to finish. If you just watched clips, I'll just give the job to my Nana. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't, it's like you, you study television. You, you want this job, watch the show. It seems like it's a slap in my face. If you come in and it's like, it's like going into a bank and being like, yeah, no, I don't count. I I just don't care. (laughs) I don't like math. I hate math. I hate money. By the way, I hate money, you know. So it just seems crazy to me. But if there was a uh, kid who was a super fan and watched the entire episode, you'd hire them on the spot, probably. In a second. Yeah. In a it's second. Interesting. Yeah. I had, a, I had a, an assistant who, when I was doing um, the NBC show Contender, and exact same as you, she was she was a senior in college, had a bunch of incredible internships. She didn't tell me during the interview that she was still in college. Hired her on the spot because she was really impressive. Then she tells me afterwards, she's like, "Well, just so you know, Lisa, I'm still in college, and I'll work my way around it in turn, in, like in you know, um, around her finals." Ended up hiring her anyway. Worked around it, and now she's like, you know, executive producer herself. But those right. are the type of kids you hire because they're the ones who want to go after it. And then, the, and they're the ones. Whenever I sit across from an, um, an assistant, I always say, "One day, I want to, I want you to be my boss." And those right. are the kind of kids you hire. It's a, it's, and it seems so obvious, but like for a lot of people, it's like when you go to that level, like the person that you're talking about, you know that they're driven, invested, yep. and they want to be there. Yep. It's like nobody wants to be, nobody wants to hire someone that is just kind of like, yeah, my father knew somebody. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Do you want to be here? Yeah. When she did, she had done her research on me before there was a LinkedIn or Facebook and, and knew everything about me and anything about my career. And so it's super impressive. And you're like, okay, great. You're hired. And you're still in college. It's amazing. Well done. That was my first job. My first job when I was hosting. Well, my first job in the real business was hosting for Pine Ridge Film and Television. This guy, George Smith, I got a random call 
after the amazing race and it was Jerry saying, Hey, we have potentially have this idea for the show on travel channel and we're thinking you'd be a good host. And here I'm, I'm living in LA and I drove back two days later and showed up and I'm like, I'm ready to work. And he's like, well, you know how we sell a show. This might take a year or two. And I drove across <laughs> the country. I thought I was like, let's start working. Right. And I was like, I'll take anything. I started selling stock footage, but it, for his 75th birthday, I was back there a couple of years ago and he stood up and said that story. You know, right. it's like the reason why Alex Boylan got where he is, at least in this company was because he just showed up and i just thought like oh cool he wants to hire me i'm in and so i just drove across the country so yeah Mark to that Bert, point that's that was me as a young kid because i just moved here to la from chicago and there was a show i, I wasn't i didn't wasn't obsessed with the the talk show space but i was obsessed with adventure adventure television and there was a um a, a franchise called eco challenge which was mm -hmm. back in 1995 and I knew the minute I saw it that that's what I was meant to do. And so for six months, this is before email and cell phones, and I would call the Eco Challenge offices pretty much every day, send facts that I, I really want to work there for six months until I got an interview, and that interview was with Mark Burnett, and who's now become one of the most prolific producers in the world, um, and you know just hustled my way in for six months. And Mark always tells the story that you know he's like, you just hustled your way in for like six months and then worked for free. I'm like, I didn't really work for free. <laughs> you know, you paid me like you know two hundred dollars a week, but right. you know that kind of tenacity gets you in the door, and then once you're in, it's up to you to stay. Now, what would you have done if he had said to you, um, I'm not going to hire you, but you can be on the actual show competing? Would you have done that? Uh, I would have, but back then it wasn't really a TV show. It was more of an event. And oh, so it was oh, much more, it. it was much more complicated to actually race, you know, like the entry fee was $10,000 and it was real adventure athletes. So wow. yeah, so I, I, I would love to race in it now, but yeah, I, I would have, I would have been a volunteer. I would have done, I just actually recently, um, Alex and I were just having coffee and I ran into one of the, um, the kids that was a volunteer for us on Eco Challenge and people used to want to be so part of that show that I had 70 people that would work for free and fly themselves to the event every year. That's a racket. Yeah, it? yeah, no, it wasn't a racket. <laughs> they got a really great experience okay. and a lot of free and it swag. It looks good on a resume. It, <laughs> it does. It does. And you made your bonus that season. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have bonuses. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of money back then. So Shane, how do you go from work entry level getting into the Joan Rivers? Mm -hmm. What's the next big step? I mean, because you you know you obviously you get up to executive producing some of the biggest shows. Well, out I want to hear some Joan Rivers stories. Okay, so I I started to tell you she's that, a legend. That la yeah, she was so cool. She was so cool. So, um, you know, there was a period of time when I was doing the Rachel Ray show where I was flying every week, every weekend to L.A. to um, sort of prep this pilot for a late night show for E. So I'd be you know I would be on the, the flight on Friday. Um, coming out to LA, whatever the latest flight was, and then I'd be taking the red eye back Sunday night to get back to uh, the Rachel Ray show on Monday. And as I was doing that, Joan Rivers was on my flight all the time. She just <laughs> never, so they talk about her never, she never stopped working, like I saw that firsthand. Yeah. And even though I had that, like she was my first job, I never bothered her. And she, a couple times she sat like directly across from me, the, the aisle. So like I just never bothered her. Eventually I talked to her and told her like how important that first job was to me, but not at that point. Um, all right, so at the end of the Joan Rivers show, like when when her talk show sort of transformed into a show because she had like this love for like gaudy costume jewelry, mm -hmm. right? So she and she started selling it on QVC. So they took her talk show and they transformed it into a show called Can We Shop. You know, her her trademark line was, can we talk, when she mm -hmm. would give you some gossip and rip you. But then she they, we, she did this thing where it was, can we shop? So she brought on celebrities that had products, and she would interview them, and then they'd sell, like, QVC style. Well, it was, like, the first of its kind in a regular syndicated format, and then all of a sudden it just they just canceled it on a Friday. And that was the day I was telling you where uh, it was the OJ chase. But I had already... It was the last day of the two weeks that I had given because I got hired to be an assistant on the original Ricky Lake show. And at that point, Ricky Lake was huge. That show was huge. So I was sort of like moving uh, moving shows anyway. But I remember they call us all into a green room and Joan's there. And I remember she was wearing like this. She was always so fashionable. She always was. She had like this black dress. She had the big like Jackie O black sunglasses inside 
and uh, and then there were three executives. There was one, a gentleman from Tribune, a gentleman from QVC, and whatever the third company was, I can't remember what that was. And as I'm looking around, and I'm really young, like I'm 22 years old, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking around and I'm watching the reaction of, so the gentlemen start talking, they're like, "What? you know, Joan was amazing, the show was amazing, but today's the last day. No, Like, no lead up. Like, you know, oftentimes you know your show's about to get canceled. Nobody had any idea. So I'm looking around and I'm watching women cry. Like, these are women who have children and mortgages and did not plan for this. And I felt horrible. Like, I, I felt like, wow, this is this is cra this is what this business is. It's like it's amazing at one point when you're hanging out with Joan Rivers, and then and then all of a sudden it's you get you could just get canceled like that with no warning. Well, and for people that aren't in entertainment, that means no paycheck. No I paycheck. Mean, there's, there's no there's no severance. It's like if you're classed on Friday, that's your last paycheck. You're it's, it's it was and it was and I watched as you know women were crying. They're trying to keep it together, and and then I felt like I felt like this weird guilt too because it's like it was my last day. And uh, I think maybe it was because of you it got canceled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> the way I carried props, <laughs> I screwed that up. But um, so I'm watching this, and then so the executives are they're very complimentary to the show, very complimentary to. Joan and to all the work that you know we had done and then um, and then it was Joan's turn to talk and so Joan looks and she so she goes well she goes this goes to show you that everybody in this business is fucking liars so now you see three guys like these three like executives <laughs> I'm glad are she said that there. oh my god so of course everybody starts now people are applauding people are applauding and she's doing like five minutes of like the best Joan material on these three guys who have just canceled her show and she was pissed and it was just like Joan Rivers you know Joan Rivers will destroy you just for fun but like when she's mad wow it was fantastic so it was like getting to see Joan do what she does best and she just took these guys down and it was amazing to watch so um now cut to 22 years later she um I sell a show called The Gossip Table that's on VH1. And Joan, you know, obviously she had a gossip show back in the day. So she just loved gossip. And so she was friendly with one of the uh, one of my castmates. So she has a party at her house. So I had some of my gossip uh, cast there. And I got the chance to tell her that um, that and it was special for me because it was like my show. But then I got to tell her what that speech meant to me on that and she still remembered it and she's like yeah so she's like yeah that show should still be on the air like she was still pissed <laughs> she was still pissed like i think she wanted to call those three guys up and rip them again <laughs> at the party it was just it was fantastic i, I love loved that it. oh she's awesome she was so cool yeah well she she always wanted to take over the tonight show right for johnny and then and then there was all that politics and then is that the show then she's she started that you were working on the well, talk show uh, in addition well, to the QVC. No, because what happened was is that she did she went and did a, um, a late night show for Fox, but then she went and did a daytime show. Oh, okay. So it was it. after. So she like had a falling out, I think, with Fox executives. Um, I think it was her husband that had the falling out. Oh, somebody had a falling. Yeah. She was often having falling outs, mm -hmm. right? So she uh, so that happened, and then she got the daytime show, and then she was sort of like it kind of like revived her again. Um, yeah, she's. Uh, I like that format though, Shane. It might be something you might want to bring back. It's funny. Celebrities it's like, selling their their uh, a comedian with their celebrity friends selling jewelry. And you know what's so funny? It's like so many daytime shows sell products now because you just there's no, you don't have the same audience that we used to have. So so you have to bring products. It's like you got to like you got to integrate products. Uh, now people are like you watch the Today Show and they're selling products. It's it's crazy to me. But yeah, Joan started it all. Snack of the day. Remember that for Rachel Ray. <laughs> I do. I do. Oh, reason we never why I made any money on that. What's that? That was never a money thing. Oh, it wasn't. No, Rachel was just like, I want my studio audience to have a snack. So like so companies were like, uh yeah, we could send two hundred bags of um That was a freebie. That was a freebie. I mean, wow. she hasn't done it in years because I now some executive is like, yeah, no, we're not giving away <laughs> anything for free. But Rachel insisted that the studio audience get some sort of snack. Because imagine that you go to a show, she's cooking. She's oh, amazing. Yeah. She's an amazing cook. Um, people, you know, they're like, "Oh, but she's not a trained chef." It's like whatever. That's what's her, awesome about her story, right? Her story's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, it's like I remember we would shoot sometimes three shows in a day, so she's making th you know three different meals, and then 
she'd go back to her apartment and then she'd have like a knucklehead like myself or my buddy Tommy Cruda um, over to uh, her apartment and she would make dinner again. So we're like, we watched you make th- dinner three times in the studio and then you're making dinner for us, you know? She and it she loved it. She was passionate about it. Yeah. She really yeah. was. She absolutely loved it. So. Which is the first show that you became um, what you wanted to be, the executive producer? And what does an executive producer do? Um, the first show was, I think it was Isaac Mizrahi. I, w- I became a co-executive producer. So I still had a boss on that one. But, you know, executive producers, they, they oversee everything. It's like at some point you have to kind of step back and let producers do the real creative. I'm pretty much hands-on. So, like, I like to get involved with the creative. Plus, it's like it's why I do TV. I don't mm-hmm. want to just be like managing budgets and reprimanding people when they show up late. Like or I managing want, up. Yeah. Or managing ne- up. Yeah, well, there's a fun. lot of that. You yeah. have to do that, which is the worst. But, um, but getting into the studio is the most fun. So, um, but you know, it's deciding what celebrities and what segments get on the show. Um, it is figuring out, um, where your staff's talents lie and saying, Oh, you know, this person's really good at celebrity interviews so, and putting them over there and then um, taking somebody else and putting them in demos. But, uh, but also it's like just staying on top of them. It's like, it's, and also managing talent, which sometimes can be a little complicated. It can. Yeah, it can. It's, it, it, there's a funny thing there. It's like for a while there, um, I think if you were to talk to my agent, he would say that I specialize in dealing with difficult female talent. Um, I think it's just a fluke that I've worked with strong women. Um, I I worked with Rosie O'Donnell yeah. twice. I worked with Rachel Ray. Um, I came in at the end of the talk that was you know Julie Chen mm-hmm. and Sharon Osbourne because some of their talent was um, I don't know maybe they weren't getting along. Their their that show is huge doing huge so like i seem to kind of get a lot of those types of shows um and what i find is that i'm just really honest uh i i feel like talent responds to that so i'm not gonna sit there and be like that was amazing sometimes I'll be like what the fuck was that <laughs> like that was awful yeah. and, it, and it's like and they react to that because nobody talks to them like that yeah you know it's like and i'll just and, and so and they the, really deep down want the feedback because they yeah. want to be better yeah and then you know even when they're a little bit hurt they think about it and they come back and then it's like then they trust you, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, my thing is, I'd rather have like a weird conversation backstage with you than have you go out there and look silly in front of a studio audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I became, I, I started off at Rachel Ray as a supervising producer and became a co-EP, but I worked directly with her. So the moment she walked into the studio, I was in her dress. I think I know how to blow out her hair and do her makeup. I've seen it done so many mm-hmm. times. I said, you know, anybody calls out sick i could probably do that but i would sit there and i would be like right up in her grill uh you know giving her notes on like what was going to happen in the show and then i was always in her eyeline because she didn't want to wear a headpiece which would mm-hmm. connect her to the control room so i was in her eyeline writing on cue cards and i would write stuff like um like simple things like a follow-up question i would write a joke a one-liner because she likes to be funny and she likes mm-hmm. to get the joke out or i would sometimes write relax if she was getting too excited, like Rachel is so real that if she's really excited about a celebrity, she can't hide it, yeah. which is sweet in a lot of ways. And, the, and that's what I think connects her to the audience is that they, the audience is like, wow, how would I be if I was sitting with Julianne Moore or, mm-hmm. or whoever? Right. So that's so sometimes it's just like just got a reminder, you know, take it back, take it back a notch, you know, let them talk. And she was great at that. So. Um, so, yeah. So a lot of it is managing, managing the talent. Yeah, which is not sometimes an easy job, but obviously you did it well. And I, and I think the people that, um, the producers that manage talent well move up the chain fairly quickly because it's such an important skill to have. Yeah, and it's, um, the other thing about talent is they want to know that they're protected. So I would, one of the things that I didn't do was shield the producers away from the talent because then they don't grow, right? Mm-hmm. And my whole thing is like, I want people to move up. That was always the biggest thing. It's like, I loved when I got to uh, promote people. Probably you did too, mm-hmm. right? I love it. It's the best feeling in the world because yeah. it's like, then they know that they invested their time with you and your show and all of a sudden now it's th- they're getting paid back for it. And that's a great feeling. So, so I would have producers um, brief Rachel or whoever the, Tyra Banks, whoever the host was themselves. 
and I would only jump in if there was um, if there was a question because I could see on the face of the host whether or not they were getting it or not, or whether or not they liked it. So then I could come in and spin it a different way, and then they would get it. Um, so that's that's really important. But when a talent feels like a producer doesn't know what they're talking about or if they ask a question while they're being briefed and the the producer does isn't confident about what their answers then they feel like oh wait a minute i'm going out there in front of all these people they're not even thinking about the millions of people who are watching them on tv they're thinking about the 200 people that are in the actual audience Mm -hmm. am i gonna look like a fool do i not know what this next and then and then the producer's getting nervous and then the talent real and then they just look to me yeah right and then you have to jump in but for the most part i want the producer to learn how to handle that because Mm -hmm. i remember what it was like like having done the rosie o'donnell show like i love rosie i was actually texting with her yesterday i had to ask her a favor um, but Rosie was a whole, like people ask me sometimes who is the best producer you ever worked with it's clearly Rosie O'Donnell she would see things and know exactly how to make things work and if we ever questioned her as a producer and she would be like trust me she would go out now she would work extra hard to make it work mm-hmm. but she was so good and you had to you had to be confident in front of her otherwise she just steamrolled like, right over you Yeah, and uh, so I just try to make sure that my producers are prepared when they're in front of talent because talent sees right through that. And oh, they in just a want second. To, yeah. yeah. And, and very to, quickly it becomes a huge downward spiral or meltdown if, if they don't think the person's confident helping uh, coach them. Now, I have to ask you, Lisa, because I worked for like very indirectly with Mark Burnett. What's it like working for him and how does he react when he when uh, so? Do you have to be super confident when you talk to him about your ideas or is he willing to sit there and kind of brainstorm with you? Uh, both, really. I mean, I, I think that confidence, especially at our level, when you're when you're an executive producer or showrunner, you have to walk in and be confident right. because if you're not, then, you know, why would he be confident in your idea? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in terms of the collaboration, it, it definitely, especially in the early days, it was a group effort because you're you're really when you're when you're really creating an industry i mean you, when, when you walked in went into um talk shows that was a, a i mean there's been talk shows on forever and in terms of competition reality shows it didn't exist and so we were breaking the mold in the very beginning and so it needed a lot of different uh lenses um in order to create really create greatness really you know so you needed the best person who is the production designer you needed the best producers and and we would always have a round table um I, i'm a strong believer and so is mark in terms of you know your monday uh department head meeting and everyone sits around the room because you're all trying to make the best show possible and if the production designer is failing or the you know the casting director doesn't bring the best cast or the producers aren't telling the best story your show fails and so Mark is very collaborative when it comes to that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's his name on the door, and sure. he's very, um, you know, he's very adamant on his vision and that his vision is being met. Very cool. Awesome. <laughs> so how, uh, this moving forward in your career here, <coughs> VH1, right, which is not too long ago, yeah. you were running two shows on the air, mm-hmm. right? So you're running the Big Morning Buzz Live show as well as the Gossip Table. I would love to dive into that a little bit because that's now you're running two talk shows at the same time. I was fortunate to be on set a couple of times with that and watching, you know, how you would seamlessly go from one show into the other. It was really cool. Right on Times Square yeah. shooting that. What was that like? You know, it's funny. It's like the whole VH1 thing was, um, you know, as a producer, whatever level you are, executive producer, uh, associate producer, producer, you work to get your rate up, you know, your quote. You know, and I had just um, come off of an own show. Actually, it was Rosie's second. It was it was the it was the Rosie O'Donnell show. It was Rosie, and are those shows all union? Um, the VH1 shows, or just the talk shows in general? Are they union? Just out of curiosity, when are you, you talking when you say, to a union representative or something? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm just curious. Are people come running saying, in here? No, no. When you said to get your rate up, I just I, that's the first time I've heard that. Well, no, like my personal quote, like yeah, yeah. So no, it's not just. So my agent could then go and say negotiate well, a higher rate. Exactly. So it's like, but based <laughs> off of your last yeah, job, exactly. right? So, um, so I had gotten my rate to where I wanted it to be on that second Rosie show. So when it ended, I came back to New York, and my agent thought, okay, now we're going to look for a show, a job for you at that rate. 
Well, I was antsy because I would like I I was under a holding deal with CBS for a project I was going to do with Bobby Flay and Giada De Laurentiis. So I was just kind of sitting around, and I had money coming in from that project, and but I was bored. So some a friend of mine actually. Leah Horowitz, who's a friend of yours, oh, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Leah Horowitz, um, who's an amazing human being, calls me up and she's like, listen, we're having some trouble with this VH1 show. It's a morning show in New York where you are. Would you want to you know, take a meeting on that? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. So I went in, and the rate for the EP spot was like a fraction. I mean, a fraction of what I had been making. So my agent was like, yeah, you're not going to do that. And I was like, no, I am. I am because at that point it was just like I wanted to just do it because I knew it would be something that I would enjoy. Mm. So sometimes it's like so that's just a lesson for young people. It's like don't always worry about the money. The money will come, you know. Worry about doing what you want to do. So I did it and it it turned out to be something I just like one of my favorite things. Probably mm. my favorite thing of all time. So so I'm doing this little show. It was a little show that was shot in an elevator bank in the in the 1515 Broadway in New York. And it just seemed like cute and charming. And so you'd be doing an interview, your host would be doing an interview, and then people would be coming off the elevator and they'd be in the shot, which was super it's cool. It's cool, yeah. Except when the cleaning woman would be re replenishing the uh, toilet paper and she'd be talking to her daughter in Spanish. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like live here. You know, can you- <laughs> Can you help me out? Rosa, put the phone down. <laughs> so- um, so what I did was, so I was working on that show, and at the time, I met, I was replacing somebody. I met the staff, and so I remember being in this conference room, and I'm talking to this group of producers, and I'm like, so what's everybody's background? So I'm, I'm they, weren't, they weren't the traditional producers. They weren't traditional talk producers that came up the way I did. They came from like sketch, some were stand-ups. It was just like bizarre to me. So I was like, so you, none of you guys have done this on like a regular talk show? And they're like, nah, they've done sketch shows and they do stand. I was like, all right, well, uh, okay. I was, I'm not going to fire everybody and start again. So I go, bring me characters then. So they were like, okay. So then they would come into my office and they would pitch these characters. So I put characters all day long mm -hmm. on the show and it was so much fun. So we grew the show and then we moved it down to the TRL studio, mm -hmm. which is what you're talking about, Alex. Because you were on the show actually up in the elevator. Yeah, I was at yeah, both. Down. Yeah, you came down yeah. to the other one. So, Alex, you did the show in both uh, both spots. And then we moved down to the TRL studio. And um, so we're down there. And then I sold them a show called The Gossip Table. Because And that's mind, your first one you've ever sold, right? Created ever, the show, at, yeah, put it on the, the air. The whole thing. like uh, Which so, is a big deal. Huge it was deal. really big yeah, deal. It's like one of the hardest things, the hardest thing to do in this business. It was. It's been so hard. So it's like I've, I've always pitched like these super complex shows. And then I was like, you know what? Why don't we just get five gossip columnists sitting around a table talking? And then they're like, okay, let's move forward with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's that crazy? it. That's it. Keep it simple, stupid. Exactly. So um, I was I was on Buzz. I would have this guy, uh, Rob Shooter, who had his own website, but he's worked gossip mags and the whole thing. So. He was a constant guest every week, and he had great information. So I was, took him to lunch at um, Joe Allen's in Midtown, and I said, hey, what if, what if we do a show where it's you and four other people who do what you do um, sitting around a table just giving gossip? And I go, you could all be working at different outlets, so the gossip is different, but you just – it's like you, you break it on our show. It's so, – it, in my mind, as I'm like kind of pitching it to him, he's just like, "Yeah, I'll do that." Right. So I go into VH1 and I explain it to them, and they're like, "This is yeah. on social media was just sort was it kind of the beginning of the like really news was being broken." Yeah, it's differently like, now. Exactly. And what year was this? This was this is uh, well, it maybe four years ago. Yeah. yeah. So um, so you know the days of waiting to seven o'clock at night to watch entertainment tonight completely no. over. Yeah. Over. It's like because if you like a certain celebrity, you just watch, you just follow their Instagram, but. So these guys were reporting on stuff like that, but also like stuff that people didn't know about. So like I had somebody from the Daily News. So what happened in her column, she would break that day. Sometimes stories happen on our show before they, you know, hit some of these other outlets. So I go into VH1 and I say to them, I, I want to do this. So they're like, OK, this is before I had moved down to the TRL studio. So they're like, OK, you know, we'll shoot tape on it, you know, so. I go, I want to shoot it in the TRL studio. 
and they're like, okay, and it's just crazy. It's like, and you, that studio is so beautiful and so iconic. It, it was some ridiculous price. Like it was like less than $10,000 to shoot there, right? For a television production, it seems like, well, no, not a, a no-brainer, right? That's mm -hmm. a, To have a space like that in Times Square, of course pay for that. So I'm like, I want to... Um, I want to shoot it there. And they're like, uh, that's going to be $10,000. So we're going to pass on that. And so I'm sitting in the executive's office and I go, well, I have an idea. She goes, what? I go, I'll pay for it out of my own pocket. And she's just like, what? I go, I'll write you a check for $10,000 if you let me shoot my pilot in that studio. I go, I'll even shoot Buzz. We'll go live with Buzz, which we were going to do anyway. Mm -hmm. So we'll go live with Buzz out of the studio, and then I'll just keep the camera guys and stuff, and we'll just shoot this pilot. So she was like, I, well, you, I, you can't spend your own money. That's, you know, I mean, this is a major corporation. We can't let you do that. And I was like, well, then you pay for it. And she was just like, well, no, no. I, by the time I left her office and got back to my office, I picked up the phone. She called me, and she's like, all right, we'll pay for it. Now, I knew she would do that. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, but I swear but to God. But it was a grand gesture. I swear to God, I would have written the check. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as we shot that show, it was like, it would, like, I. You like, saw it. The vision was in it, your head and you there. made it happen. And the series became almost exactly like the pilot. It was just like, it was, it was, it was beautiful. And we had so much fun. And what, we didn't get any viewers. Just, but Buzz, yeah, I mean, like, VH1 never promoted their daytime shows. But what we did get was a crazy amount of traffic to the VH1 website. Like, it was the leading thing bringing in traffic to VH1's website. Mm. So the network loved it. And the only reason why it went away is because um, Tom Calderon, who was the president of VH1, left, and somebody new came in, and that president's idea was, let's just focus on the primetime, and let's just get rid of the daytime slate. So they got rid of Buzz and um, Gossip Table. But, you know, I'm thinking about bringing it back on the West Coast, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. I mean, we broke some crazy stories. Joan Rivers called in one time. Yeah. Like, that was so cool. Yeah. And so. we we end on Morning Buzz. That's where we did our very first dream job. Yeah, I know. Got to give. I mean, Shane has been such a good friend throughout the years. I think I'm trying to think of how many um, ideas and um, no, different it's projects you owe me. It's <laughs> that Shane has uh, taken on, going all the way back to the Around the World for Free Days, turned into its own little mini series within the Rachel Ray Show. And um, so Shane's always been really cool to. Take yeah, our he, ideas and put them on at shows. He helped, he helped us launch but, our, our and, big and, dream job. And dream jobbing, our first dream job ever was to be a social buzz reporter for the VH1 Morning Show. And uh, Anna, we, we Anna K. Thomas, right? Anna yeah. K. How cool. You changed that girl's life. It's so awesome. Well, you know what's so funny about Anna K is like, I remember she had the least amount of experience of the five people that was like the five finalists. Mm -hmm. She had the least amount of experience than that group. I think she was the alternate. Like you were the intern. I, and I, yeah, yeah. I think you guys had oh, chosen three and I think you guys called in to pick a fourth and I think it was Anna K. She, she was amazing. And you know what the best thing was? I remember one time, it's like, so she did her thing. And then I remember being out with the staff one time, and we're all drinking. And I turn around, and Anna Kay's there drinking. I'm like, I, you're not even employed by us anymore. But she's smart because she would show up to, to things. So, um, so she, I don't know, like long after that opportunity, she sent me her reel and asked me to take a look at it. And it's one of those things. It's just a relationship thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I love that experience. I thought it was cool. First of all, it was good programming for the show because it was just entertaining. And what was special, what's special about it for me is that I, I remember when um, you guys were talking about dream jobbing mm -hmm. and I happened to be in L.A. casting um, sidekicks for Nick Lachey. Mm -hmm. And I came over to this, your house, mm -hmm, Lisa. The Buddha Lounge. And uh, we, and I got to listen to what you guys were like dreaming up. And I remember just thinking like, wow, this is really cool. And it wasn't, I don't even think at that point had we even talked about it, VH1 being a partner on this. I think it was just, I think it was like, just part of the seed of the idea was born and we we're talking about it and getting people's feedback. And, and especially cause you know, we were trying to do something different in the, in the production space. So someone like yourself and Anne O'Grady, there was that key people that we were, we would be open with about this idea and, it's just cool. Like I just wish that it existed when you know I was younger. I would have jumped on it. Like I love it. I think it's so cool. And yeah, like we got a great person. I want to talk to you about future shows and future young people coming on. So yeah, let's we're keep collecting it going. talent. We're collecting lots of great talent. Very cool. And then one last thing is like you know you've I've heard you talk you know away from it. it's like you loved working with Nick Lachey. 
yeah. right? That guy is yeah. such I a mean, talent. He is so good. Yeah. You know what it is about Nick is that, um, so when I was at VH1 and um, Carrie Keegan, who will, by the way, be on the, because uh, she was there, she was the host, she, the, one, the first host that you uh, right, the first time with. I was yeah. on. Carrie King is going to be on Celebrity Apprentice, and like, so I'm rooting for her. She's an amazing. You know, human it's already being. been shot. Yeah, but I'm still. Ro- I don't know the outcome. <laughs> I know. So I'm I just kidding. Lisa probably knows the outcome. Her good friend's the EP <laughs> over there. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. My, you my, can my, make a phone call. My one of my best friends <laughs> is the executive producer. Oh, so so you... I was just yeah. They wrapped last Thursday. So. Okay. So I'm hoping that I took her out to dinner well. last night and gave her a, a lot of wine, and so I know who won. Oh, you do? No, I don't. Okay. I have no idea, Paige. I'm sorry. So, uh, but, but it's cool that Arnold's the the new. It was you know you would think that there's no replacing Donald Trump, but like they found the one person that makes right. sense. You know, yeah. So I, I hope he's I, good. Yeah, I heard he, everyone loved him. The entire crew absolutely loved him, and I heard he did a great job. And okay. The cast is really great. So sorry to to digress. Oh, so Carrie was the was the host, and then um, she moved on, and I was told to put together a list of potential hosts, and um, so I wrote Nick Lachey down. And I wrote Nick. Did down. you know Nick before this? I had met him a couple of times because he was um, sort of like a regular on Rachel Ray a couple seasons. Um, but because I wasn't produ- like I was dealing with Rachel, I, I didn't like produce him. So I talked to him a little bit backstage, but not nothing much. Right. So but like Nick was like he was like one of like the top five people to possibly replace Regis. I think people forget that. So and he was guesting and um, subbing uh, in for Regis uh, all the time. So, so he didn't get it. So Strahan gets it. So I know it's like that's like a drug. So like once you get that taste, you want it. So it just made sense because Nick became famous on MTV. Um, this was you know VH1. He we had music live music every day. It just sort of the made sense fit. for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so I submit my list of Nick Lachey, which is supposed to be a list of like, I don't know how many 15 people I'm supposed to give. And they're like, oh, my God. They're like, we, this is amazing. What a great idea. We're going to put him at the top of our list. Now, where's the rest of the names? I was like, no, it's, it's one name. It's Nick Lachey. Really? And they were like, well, give us some more names. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Just get Nick. I know that <laughs> if you go after him, you're going to get him if you because I know what he wants without ever talking to him. I'm right. like, I know what he wants. And they're like. Uh, maybe just put a couple more names. I'm like, yeah, no, I said I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so let's move forward, right? So of course I didn't do it, and they get Nick on the phone. So like you know, a week later, the West Coast folks who have all since left VH1, and a couple of us, um, a couple execs, and then myself in New York, and so a conversation. So. Nick's there. I think his agent, his manager are, uh, you know, on the phone and we start talking and I'm listening to the executives explain the show. And Nick's, you know, Nick is such a polite dude. So he's like, he's, uh, so he's answering and I can tell that whatever they're saying is not winning him over by his response. So, and he knows that gossip table is at the show and Nick's, I mean, gossip hasn't always been nice. He's like the nicest guy in the world. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's been beat up a little bit over the years for no apparent reason. But, you know, they like to take shots at him, right? So when you're like a handsome guy, formerly of a boy band, they take shots at you, right? So um, I could tell, like, he was struggling with that. So they're trying to – so the network's trying to talk. So finally I just – I was like, all right, I'm just going to talk. So I interrupt everybody. I go, hey, Nick, it's Shane. We met at Rachel Ray. What's up, dude? And so he's just like, oh, hey, man. Right. And I go, listen, I just want to explain. Uh, you don't have to worry about the gossip table because it's a show that I created. They're never going to talk about you. You never have to talk about gossip because he's a good guy and doesn't want to mm-hmm. offend celebrities. Right. I get that. I go, you don't ever. Gossip has nothing to do with Big Morning Buzz. And just know I got you. And he was just like, okay. And he got off the phone. And I thought that was enough, right? So the, the New York folks look at me like, uh, what the hell just happened? Right? <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Did that go well? I go, yeah, I think that went real well, guys. I think that went really, really well. <laughs> so everybody gets off the phone. The West Coast team calls in and they're like, oh, my God, that's this isn't happening. This isn't happening. Clearly ain't going to happen, right? We, I guess we got to go back to the list. It's not, could you tell Could you tell in his voice he wasn't interested? I go, so I'm like looking at the New York people going, don't, don't, don't worry about it. This is, this is good. Get off the phone. And then uh, Nick, when I was leaving the show, was just like, no, I knew immediately once I talked to Shane that I wanted to do the show. So, like, I got him, right? So, it's like, it's, he's, 
the nicest guy. He's crazy talented, a hard worker, and he's like just like a year younger than me. So when you work with somebody who's like your age, you just know how to talk to yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. You know. So like I got his whole thing, and um, I talk to him all the time, and I'm trying to figure out a project where he and I can work to together again because he's just like he's a friend. Like yeah, you I, have to figure that out. And I was going through a divorce while at the the last season I worked with him, and he was just such a good dude to talk to. You know, it just. Because he had been through it. He's just mm -hmm. like a nice guy who's crazy talented. His wife's a sweetheart. I went to his holiday party that was like an ugly uh, sweater party. I didn't wear a sweater. They destroyed me. <laughs> I thought I was above an ugly sweater, but apparently I was the only one who thought that oh. because everybody wanted to just hose me. I won't do that again. Um, yeah, so I love that guy. Yeah, so well, we have to ask you because you have done um, Gossip Table and, and worked with so many different celebrities and talk shows. Like, you got to tell us one funny celebrity story. Okay. Not to dish on anyone, but just sort of like a funny, like, you Oh, know. I'm not above dishing. I'll okay. dish on well, someone. Okay. I, I, well, I, I just, I'll open that one up. Uh, celebrity story. Um, I mean, is it true that there's some celebrities that won't let people look them in the eye? Is that rumor true? You know what? I, um, I, I don't know that to be true. I've heard that. Um, I've never dealt with that. Um, I produced Billy Crystal one time, and I remember I was so nervous because – He's such a genius. And I remember I had my notes and he was sitting down on the couch and um, I was holding my folder like in my hands and I'm going over my notes. He's like, let me see what you got. And he pulled it out of my hand. And I was like, oh, my God, Billy Crystal's like reading my <laughs> writing. Um, I was like horrified. But he's like, yeah, this is good. This is good. This is great. And he gave it back to me. And I was like, oh, my God, he was so cool. Um, let's see. Well, you know, I did the Magic Hour with Magic Johnson. That's something like that. Magic Johnson had a talk show that they list as one of the worst shows of all time. Every year that they, they TV Guide does the list of the worst shows of all time, and number one is often the Magic Hour at Magic Johnson. I've and never I, even heard of it. Exactly. No, I worked on it. I worked on it. And at the time, I remember saying to – I was an associate producer, and I remember saying to the executives, um, why don't we have Magic um, take a shot, you know, and they're like, uh, no, we're trying to separate him from basketball. He's a talk show host now. And I'm thinking he you're is never basketball. Gonna yeah, you're <laughs> never going to separate Magic Johnson from basketball. So they were just, they looked at me like I was an idiot, right? Cut to the show failing and, uh, Magic's got like a basketball in his hand and he takes a shot and it's a whole thing. So, um, was that here in LA or in New yeah. York? Okay. Yeah, it was in LA. Uh, you can't take magic out of LA. No, that's what, that's what I was, I was yeah. I, you're mainly in New York. That's why I was confused. I kind of bounced like, back yeah. and okay, forth, uh, over the last 20 years. So, um, so I remember one time, like Magic wasn't great with the teleprompter. You know, he wasn't like, which is, by the way, really difficult. You mm -hmm. know, uh, figuring out how to do the teleprompter. People think it's just reading, but it, no, it's it's the pacing natural of it. Yeah, and it's not easy. So Magic or Urban, as I like to call him, uh, he had trouble with that. So I remember one time we were going down and we were going to practice this bit where he's talking and. He's, he takes a shot from like <laughs> the audience into the hoop. And um, he's like, uh, I need somebody to rebound for me. And he's like, anybody interested? I jumped from my <laughs> desk so quick. And I was like, yeah. Because in my mind, I was, I was shooting hoops with magic. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I wasn't so. just kept, you know collecting the ball and throwing it back to him. So uh, so he would shoot it up. And he was like tr you know, working with the prompter. And I I would whip the bat. I mean, I, would, I was throwing the basketball like pretty quick to him, right? So now they're like, Magic, you know, maybe you should have a hand mic because you're going to be talking. So they put a hand mic in his hand. They um, they put a card, and he's really struggling with the prompter. So he throws one up. Uh, of course, it like it banks in perfectly, right? I, I get the ball, and I go to, like, wing it back to him. And I'm really throwing it fast because I want to show him that, like, I'm, like, on his level, <laughs> right? So I'm doing everything I can to, like, get it back and, like, hit him right in the you're chest. You're literally, like, half his size. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> a quarter. His hand, like, would go half up my arm when he shook it. So I go to, like, whip the ball back to him, and he uh, – but I stop because I realize he's got a hand mic in one hand and his card in, in the other. And um, he's, like, throw it. And I'm, like, well, switch. And I'm trying to tell him, like, switch. He goes – he goes – just throw me the ball. He goes, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to catch the ball. And I was like, okay. So I whipped it as hard as I could. And it was like nothing. It was like, boom. Like it was like, like he caught a <laughs> cotton ball that I threw at him. He was, he was such a sweet guy though. Um, so, but I'm trying to think if there's any other. Like what's your favorite? Cause you have, I mean, your, your history is incredible in terms of all the shows you've worked at. Like what's your, if you're at a cocktail party, what is the one story like that you just love telling the most? Oh, it's, uh, it involves uh, Alex Boyland. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, 
God. Uh, okay, so the the Rosie O'Donnell is like at uh, Rosie O'Donnell. The first of Rosie O'Donnell show is like at the peak. Like she's on the cover of Newsweek magazine, where it says the Queen of Nice. The show's making all sorts of money, and I found a story where um, it was this husband and wife in Florida, and they had retired, but the wife was bored. So and she was like seventy or something. So she went back to work in a in a school, and she was um, like the lunch lady. And she kept seeing this uh, this little boy and little girl um, coming into school, and their faces were dirty. And so she was like, so she started talking to him, and she realized that um, they were orphans, or so there was some crazy stuff. I can't remember exactly what it was, but she ends up taking them in. And buying a house, like buying a whole new house that can like accommodate these children. So she had originally sold her house that she raised her kids in, gave the money that she got from that house to her children, and then was like living in this little apartment and then takes in these children, buys a new house and now has this mortgage and then realizes, because just like her heart was bigger than her like head and realizes, I'm not going to be able to pay this off until you know it's like this is never going to get paid off like 30 years from now this woman was going to be dead for years right <laughs> so it just didn't make sense so she um so i i guess i read this story in the paper and you know it touched me so i i sell like i sold this story to the producers at at rosie so we bring this woman in we you know we bring in the kids we do the whole thing and what had happened was is that people always think that Oprah was the one that gave away all the gifts. She gave away the cars. You know, you get one, you get one. She did like Oprah's favorite things. But long before Oprah did that, Rosie was doing it. Mm -hmm. People forget that. So Rosie was like, um, so we just didn't have anything. Like, so the, so the company was supposed to like do something right for this woman. So we go to shoot the show and we don't have anything. So Rosie, so Rosie finds us out and says, uh, yeah, I'm not going to come out of my dressing room until, uh, we someone buys this woman's house for her so uh everyone's like yeah there's no we don't have any sponsors right this second they knew that in time they could get it but they mm -hmm. didn't have it so she goes warner brothers will pay for it so the company that owned yeah. the show and so Warner Brothers is like no nah, we're not gonna do it and rosie's like okay yes, well I'll, I'll stay inside my dressing room Good. all of a sudden warner brothers Amazing, wrote the check huh? and paid this woman's mortgage Amazing. For this house. it was so sweet it's like just showed the person that Rosie was, the yes. kind of power that show had, and um, it was it was just like a wonderful story. And I remember just being like, "Yeah, Rosie, stay in that dressing room." I think she stayed in the dressing room for about ninety seconds for the check <laughs> to be written, but like it got handled. But she was brave enough to do that, and she would have stayed there. Yeah, she'd she still be there to this day had that check yeah. not been written. <laughs> I love but, like that story. she was just like that was just so cool. Yeah. So. Awesome. awesome. Well, we could sit and talk all day, but I think we're it's getting dark now. I think it is. We're here at the Buddha Lounge. Um, lounge. Yeah, I guess I would just kind of wrap it up. Is there any advice you'd give yourself looking back 20 years? I mean, you pretty much crushed it, Shane. So, jeez. Oh, I, mean, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, for the kids out there, people are thinking about getting into this space. You know, you've, you've lived the life both in New York and Los Angeles. Um, what would you say? What advice would I give myself? Um, You know, it's like funny when I hear this question be asked to other people, I feel like often the answer is, you know, just enjoy it. I can't say that to myself because I've enjoyed every step of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I, you know, when I was working on, you know, Rachel and Tony Danza because it was like you're working for this Italian guy in New York. It's like every restaurant wants you to come to the opening of the restaurant. And I went to the every opening of every restaurant, <laughs> which was fantastic. Um got fat as hell but then i tried to lose the weight so uh I, you know it's like what did i miss out on um you know i don't know i guess as now as i try to develop my own shows i think if i spent more time working with the guests that came on the show those sort of human interest stories mm -hmm. i could probably have taken some of those people that i had found and spun some sort of show for them like i i found um dog the bounty hunter and i didn't 
and I didn't act fast the enough. The real dog, the bunny hunter? Oh, yeah. Him. He, the first I, time he's ever was on air was done with you? No. So what happened? I love how he asked the real one. Is there a fake one? Well, I didn't know if it was just another <laughs> bounty hunter out there. You know, but like I mean, people <laughs> go around in LA saying that they're dog the bounty hunter. No, what happened was is that he had a uh, he had done some sort of special for A and A, and then like they sort of dropped him, and then he had his picture in Maxim magazine, and I saw it, and I called him up, and he was uh, calling me. This is at the end of Rosie. He was calling me every day to see like where the show was that I told him that I think I could get. And my agent at the time, who you guys know, I'm not going to mention their, that person's name, um, told me that it wasn't um, bounty hunter shows weren't happening, that people were trying to sell them, but they just weren't selling. So I was like, okay. So I went, moved to L.A., did the Wayne Brady show. And I came back to New York a year later, and on the back of a bus, I see the picture of Dog the Bounty Hunter <laughs> who went on to be – I think there might be still original shows airing. I, I have no oh, idea. Yeah, that, that. It just it made some people a lot of money. So uh, I would have told myself, you know, you know what? I, I'll tell you what, Alex. This is the this is the uh, answer to that. I don't take no for an answer now. I wish I didn't take no for an answer back then because mm-hmm. when I was told no, uh, bounty hunter shows don't sell. I should have pushed it like I push things today, mm-hmm. and that could that could have been my show. So. I mean, you got to take no for an answer sometimes, but like, don't take <laughs> Not no really. for. Well, I mean, if as a producer. Well, okay, as a producer, no, but like, if you get a no like, and then you go around it. Yeah, you I've never seen Lisa take a no like, yet. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just wish I, I would have said. It, oh, sorry, and I, I, I just have one last question to you, just kind of tying up the beginning when you were talking about being a little kid and watching all the um, the talk shows, you know, and and seeing Monty. Um, Morty, Morty, yeah. Morty, Morty, and now you are Morty. So, like, what was what was that point in your career? Because you've had an extensive career. What was that point when we've all had it, where you just it was just like this aha moment. You're like, I did it. I'm here. Um, when I got Gossip Table on the air, I took a picture of my mother who had passed away. She had been she had had been um, gone for about five years. And I made um, my production company is Cypress E Productions, which is the name of the apartment that I lived in college. But the picture is, I mean, the, there's like a little video of my mother when she was about 19 years old that my father shot. And I remember seeing that on old um, family videos. When I was able to take that and put that as um, my slate for my, for my show, that's when I felt like I had done something it's incredible and, awesome. uh, and every day it would come up. So I would take my headset off. I would turn around and I would start walking and I would see it in the monitor. My mother every day. Oh and I God. just, it, it felt like it felt perfect. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Love it. I have chills. I don't want this to end, but uh, I think we, we probably have to. Yeah. We got to wrap it up. Shane, thanks for coming on thanks for the dream jobbing podcast. And um, I think that's it. Lisa, you have any words of inspiration? I, I think Shane said it all. Yeah, I think he did. He's he's. I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming on, and guys, we'll be checking in with you um, really soon on the Dream Dropping Podcast. Take it easy. Oh.